So for us, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and Ephesians chapter 4, just looking at uh, what it is that we're the body of Christ. Remember last week, we looked at the idea of, uh, from 1 Corinthians 12, one body made up of many parts. So there's a natural unity because of of our connection to Jesus, yet... Uh, There is a diversity because he has seen fit uh, that we would not all be the same. And so uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, which is a very, very similar passage. Uh, And we're going to look at the first half this week and the second half of that, which gets very specific on what that looks like. We're going to look at that next week. And so uh, we're going to look at the first 16 verses And I welcome you to stand with me as we just reflect and submit ourselves uh, to the word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. God, uh, would you be with us? Would you, as we study your word, as we, we long to hear from you, uh, Father, challenge us in our thinking of what uh, we look like as people who follow you, not mere indi- individuals who you have saved, but, Father, a, a body a body that we're connected to because we are connected to you. There's no other way. And, Father, I pray that you challenge us in our thinking. Would you cause us to thrive in our growth and our maturity because of the other people that are in your body? Uh, Father, help us in that. Give us real clarity in that. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please be seated? 
So as we think of the idea of the body of Christ, um, uh, yesterday we saw an amazing example of that. We saw the body come together to surround a brother and sister in their mourning and their grief. Uh, we, uh, we saw so many desire to help, desire to support, desire to be a part, or uh, merely be, be here and worship together, come together, pray for this family that finds themselves uh, in uh, this very difficult time. And after the service, instead of going out to the fellowship area, uh, the family just turned around and we were able to just greet them. And I don't know if you looked around, but the picture of a room full of people coming towards uh, the, the Coopers yesterday was an amazing picture of Ephesians 4. It was the picture of, regardless of the logistics of, yeah, we should have lined up on one side and exited the other, okay, that didn't work so great, but the amazing picture of all of God's people just streaming towards this family, that was the picture of the body of Christ. It was an amazing picture. It was the body coming together, many parts, and Linda and I, as we were driving away and she was just reflecting how many different things occurred yesterday uh, and this week to come alongside the Coopers. Uh, she, you know, we were talking about the people that are uniquely gifted at organization, the people that you did not see, but that made yesterday happen. And, uh, and she's like, I need to be around those people more uh, with, the, with the caveat that they would rub off on her because that's not her natural gifting, right? And then she, about a minute down the road, she goes, no, I don't need to be around them so that I can become like them. I need them to use their gifts to the full measure of the glory of God. I need to be who God has made me, and they need to exercise their gifts. I don't need to be around them so I can just be more like them in a gift that I don't have. I need the body of Christ to function the way it needs to. Everybody uniquely gifted to the glory of God by his design. It's interesting because this concept of the body is us being united together. And the first part of the passage that we read was this, this uh, verses 1 through 7, where 1 through 6, were one body, one hope, one Lord, everything bound together, the idea of unity. The second half is the idea of diversity and the, the de desire for uniqueness. And there's that phrase that many different people around the world have picked up, uh, South Africa most famously, uh, the, the phrase of unity in diversity. Unity in diversity is the, the sense that, that, that that country would come together as one people, yet very different in their gifts, their cultures, and their upbringing. Obviously, that country coming out of the idea of apartheid and, uh, and that being obliterated and, and yet a people that were fractured now coming together. Other countries have picked it up, Canada, India, Indonesia. We don't necessarily think of India and Indonesia as tremendously diverse, but it's amazing that every country sees this idea. Uh, Papua New Guinea picked up this phrase uh, as a motto that they used. Uh, even the European Union in the year 2020, uh, 2000, uh, year 2000, sorry, unity in diversity. Different people coming together and united uh, in some sort of commonality. It's a phrase that expresses both uniqueness and connectedness. It's about the individual and about the collective as a whole. 
And that's what Ephesians 4 wrestles with, is both of those things. It's not merely that we are a united whole, or is it merely that we are individuals unique? It is both. And God's design uh, puts these seemingly contradictory concepts together. You know, strong nations are founded on it. We have the United States of America, 13 very different colonies originally, Massachusetts being one and South Carolina being another, a little bit different, uh, but yet united towards the same goal. Uh, and, but yet, that was, a, that was true during the revolutionary time frame unity around diversity, but when diversity is, uh, in a sense, loses its way, uh, or maybe is not checked by the humility that only the gospel can bring, what do we end up in is civil war, where diversity is so different and leads us to be at odds with each other, so it can easily be something of power, but yet at the same time, it can be something that is horribly divisive. And so this idea of unity and diversity is God calling his people together. And so what's wild is how our variety, the fact that you don't look like and don't have the same gifts as the people next to you, that expresses, that variety expresses the victory of Jesus. So uh, I read it, but look back at verse 8. And it was a quote, um, and so verse 8, therefore he says, this is after Jesus is the one who gives out gifts according to his measure. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Okay, that's an interesting quote. Why would that be the quote that he uses to talk about unity and diversity of God's people. Well, it's a quote of Psalm 68, verse 18, okay? And it's actually a little bit different uh, in the quote there. Uh, And Psalm 68, verse 18, I've got it on the screen, uh, but you can flip there if you want. Speaking, it says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And so this language of someone coming in and processing in uh, with those who have been freed, you know, the captives, they're following someone in, in a procession, uh, following along behind. That's the, the language of a victorious king. A king that has gone in to rescue people and is now bringing them back. You know, so uh, he ascends on high, uh, leading a host of captives behind him. It's the language of victory. And in Psalm 68, he receives gifts, basically the spoils of war. But in Ephesians 4, the quote is flipped. Not only does he receive the spoils of war, but what does he do in Ephesians 4, verse 8, is he now comes in victory and gives those gifts away. And so all of the unique gifting in God's people is derived not only by Christ's authority, but on his victory. On that he is a conquering king. He's the victor. He's the one who's conquered sin, death, and Satan. He rides in triumphantly. He's the one that came to earth. He's the one who ascends to the heaven. He's the one who has triumphed over our enemies. He's the one who has rescued 
us. And so if he's the one that rescues and we're the one following in his victory, that means we are a collection of what kind of people? Anybody who professes Jesus by faith is a rescued person. Okay? Rescued people. And how do rescued people respond? You know, once they've been rescued, you know, think back to all of those times where groups of people are trapped either in a mine or in a cave that filled with water. You know, the most recent one over, uh, you know, on the other side of the globe where we sent in our finest uh, seals and uh, Navy SEALs and, and the Army Rangers, and they brought out 12 or 13 young kids that were on a soccer team together. How do you feel when you've been rescued? Do you puff up your chest and be like, yep, we got out of there? No. You hit the ground. You kiss the ground. You, you, you hug the people that, that got you out of that cave. When you are rescued, it changes how you view things. Humility is automatic. Because you know you were dead unless somebody else came and freed you. So the victory that we have in Jesus is the triumphant one coming to rescue his people. And it amazes me, not just about the church broadly, but it amazes me in my own heart. How can pride sneak in there? How does pride get in the way and push humility out is when I forget I've been rescued. So what would a group of rescued people act like? We would just be ones that are uh, just amazed at the glory of God. We would be humbled. We would be soft. We would bear with each other. It sounds a lot like verse 2 that we just read. I don't have this on the screen. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's this move that when we know we're rescued, it removes hostility from each other, even when we are, are different, even when we don't understand each other's giftings, e- even when we don't understand each other's culture and view. It removes the, the, the hostility of that, and it brings us softly towards each other because we are we are deriving our variety from the victory of Jesus because it's the one who is conquered is the one who has given gifts so the variety of gifts flow from the provision of our God and verses 4 through 6 kind of rehearse that there's one body and one spirit just as you were called the one hope And that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. So there's one God, many parts. One God, many people. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Okay? And so, yes, you may be different than the person sitting next to you. But that doesn't mean we are separate. It is meaning we are united to the one God. There's no divisions there. The commonality is not any of our preferences, our personalities, our station in life, our political stance. The commonality is our oneness in Jesus. And many gifts, verse 7, uh, distributed according, apportioned according to the measure of Christ as God gives them out. And so that's somewhat of a review of last week, the variety expressing 
God's goodness, and even uh, going beyond that in expressing his victory. But here's the thing. If we are connected now as a body, our growth is expected. Our growth is expected as a part of the body of Christ. Flip down to verse 15 um, in, in the first part. Uh, the first part of 15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, what's the expectation? We are to what? We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so that idea of, of growing up um, is, is a word that, that we've borrowed, um, and uh, it's, it's oxano. Um, you know, if something is an auxiliary um, or something that's added on, it's, it's, it's denoting the idea of an increase or a growth. If something is augmented, right, uh, it's, it's to make something greater by adding to it, okay? Uh, and so verses 1 through 16 flow out of this idea of us being united to the one God and his victory, that, but it has this expectation that we would be growing, that, th that the body would be building, and we would be maturing. Growth is not an option. Growth is an expectation among God's people. It's expected. It's the norm. It's the exception if someone is stunted in their growth or God's people together is stunted. It, the, the analogy kind of flips from the individual to the body, and it kind of goes back and forth. That you as an individual are expected to grow in your faith in Christ, and us as a body, there's an expectation of growth. Think of stages of human development. An infant to a child, a child to adolescence, adolescence to adulthood. That, that's the normal progression. That's the expectation. And how do, how do families wrestle with when there's delayed development or development stops? There's deep concern or oftentimes there's, there's sadness and it, because we have to come to uh, the understanding that the, the normal development of that child is, is ceased or slow. And so the expectation of you as a part of the body of Christ is that you will grow in Christ. I think the expectation of the American church is that if you come, you're doing fine, and people that grow are the exception. Like, man, they're really spiritual. It ought to be the other way. The norm ought to be people that are just growing and thriving in Christ. And then the exception is the person that feels stunted in their growth in their faith. But I think we've got it backwards. I think we are so comfortable with stunted growth that the expectation is not that we would flourish in our knowing of Jesus. And so that with growth being expected, God sets up a framework. How does he stimulate growth? He sets up this framework to stimulate that in verse 11. Uh, in verse 11, he, he gives out all these gifts, and then he sets this up. And he gave, it's the gift of God, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the framework starts with God giving whom? Apostles, teachers, shepherds, uh, prophets, evangelists. God gives leaders to his church. 
And, and that's just that that matches God uh, setting up leaders like Moses for his people. God setting up uh, leaders and heads of households. And he does the same in the household of faith for his people. He gives leaders, diverse leaders, diverse roles. It's the gift of God that's been given to his church. But what's the result of that? So the gift of leadership, the gift of people that would uh, be in front and call God's people to, uh, to, to, um, to know him and, and to, uh, to walk with him. But what's the result of that comes in the second half of 12. He does that for the building up of the body of Christ. But what, what builds up the body of Christ? Is it the leaders? What do the leaders do? The leaders are put there, verse, first part of chapter, or, or verse 12, to equip the saints. That means anybody who knows Christ, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And as the, the people are equipped, that is what builds up the body of Christ. Leaders equip God's people. Every one of us is now a builder. I think in the American church, we like the first part and the third part, but we, we kind of miss that second part. It's leaders build, and then the church is built because of that. And we think about church like, okay, is this church giving me enough? Is this doing enough for my family? And truly, no understanding of church can stand up against that because it's erroneous. The middle part is that God's people build themselves up as they are equipped and led. It can't be one or two or a few. It has to be everybody in the body of Christ. And that's what was so beautiful about yesterday and this past week. It was God's people mobilized together. The result of that is that we would be prepared, that we would be strengthened, that we would be uh, equipped for what, verse 16? That every, that every part of the body is equipped when each part does its work. And so each, each part is functioning fully. And so uh, I actually preached on this passage back in April of 2011. April of 2011. And I saw this, uh, this story of what the body of Christ looks like because we had just moved into our house that we live in now. And, uh, and so when we moved in, uh, there was a move crew that would, um, you know, that was pretty amazing, actually, that just said, you know, that showed up and just helped us move into our house. Well, a couple of days later, Linda's walking with the girls, and one of the dads in the neighborhood mentions to her, uh, wow, you had a bunch of people helping you move in. And Linda's like, yeah, that was our church. And he said, wow, that's really cool. And that family is now in our church eight years later. Not because of that, but, but it's interesting that God's people, when they are on display, there's really nothing else like it in the world. Because when God's people are coming together, it's not because we're all the same. It's when diversity brings us together towards a commonality in loving Jesus— People take notice. 
And so God's framework is the idea of leadership equipping the body and then each, each part of the body doing its work. Well, what's God's objective for that? What's the objective for our growth is verse 13 and 14. Okay, don't miss this. This is not just a how-to guide. This is not just some formulaic process that we just put in play. What is going on is, is that God is driving towards our growth and our, uh, our understanding of who he is. Look at verse 13. So do all of this, build, build up the body of Christ until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's something I'm not sure we're going to get by next week. Uh, you know, unity in, uh, unity in our faith, unity in the knowledge of, of Jesus, to mature manhood, to the full measure of Jesus in us. I think we'll probably be doing that for the rest of our life on this earth until God completes us in glory. So that's the call, is that we are together for the building up the body of Christ so that we will actually grow in maturity, that we become more like him, that we become more united in our faith, that more of the fullness of who Jesus is is exhibited in us, that we put on... We put on the back burner what we understand, and we take, take to heart what Jesus says to us in, in so many different aspects of what growth looks like. And so why would he want that is so that verse 14 doesn't happen, so that we may no longer be children tossed around by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Leaders are given to the people of God to equip and prepare the people of God to build itself up so that we are not deceived and tossed around and led astray from the knowledge of who Jesus is. That we would grow up, in verse 15, grow in, up into him who is the head. It's the development of the body. It's not just a picture of unity. It's for your good and my good. It's for our best. The so that is so that the body may be built up in maturity and stability and that we would look like Jesus. Because what's interesting is there's this interplay between the individual and the body. And so the goal for our growth is that we would be filled with Christ. So the question I asked in our newsletter this week was, how does your personal maturity in Christ, how does it tie in with and even hinge on the health of the body of God's people? So how is your personal maturity based on and even resting on the health of God's people? Let me say it this way, push it to its extreme. Imagine you're a monk, you know Jesus, and you go hide in the hills. You will have a truncated faith if it's just you in the hills. Why? Because you've, you've missed probably all the stuff that you maybe not have, have discerned or understood. Your gifts are only your gifts, and you've missed the beauty of the body of Christ. You're saying, well, I only go around and, and get what I know I need. But here's the thing. 
I don't think we know what we need. You ever, you ever around friends and they, they reflect something from the word that you're like, I have never seen that in the word before. Did you go there thinking, I need a better understanding of this passage? No, the Spirit of God reveals that through a friend in Christ. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know what we need, but yet we know we don't have it all because God gives according to his measure. We need the body of Christ deeply in order to know him. So what's God's means for our growth is verse 15 and 16. And Todd's going to just flesh this out in great measure next week. But how are we to grow? Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who's the head. Speak the truth in love. That's not Southern, right? Okay. Southern is, well, hey, (laughs) y'all. And, you know, we're just really welcoming, but truth is not like the a totally held value in the South, right? Um, and then there's other cultures where truth is the only thing. Um, you know, up north, you're like, you're going to get the truth. You're going to know, that's right, okay? Uh, and uh, you're going to know where you stand, but, but neither of those is the biblical picture. It's to speak truth in love. And I think we, we, we struggle in all sorts of different ways. We either don't want to speak at all because we're going to lose people or, or, or kind of offend people, or we just feel the need that we've got to speak all the time, and we miss the key phrase. It's not even just speak the truth, but it's in love. Verse 1 of this passage, uh, it picks that same up, same phrase up. Um, and so that in, or verse 2, sorry. So the in love phrase is in verse 2, verse 15, verse 16, and the second verse of chapter 5. So the whole point of this is not even that we would be a well-oiled machine together. The whole point of this is that we would operate in love towards each other. Which is the only way a family works, Right? You know, anybody that's been married for more than a month knows that it takes deep love, deep humility, deep forgiveness, uh, this deep sense of uh, taking somebody else on in their strengths and their weaknesses, their successes and their failures, even in their sin and taking them on. The only way to do that is a deep commitment of love. And so the the sense of speaking the truth in love is to do what I'm uncomfortable with for your gain or to do what I don't want to do for your gain. I'm going to do something for your benefit expecting nothing in return. I'm going to be self-sacrificial because where did Jesus go? He gave himself up so that he might love us and speaking the truth in love does that and and so uh and so as we do that what i love in verse 16 which we've already read is that the body grows as it builds itself up and so one of our small groups uh was was actually studying this passage off of right now media uh shameless plug make sure you you see there's amazing resource bank there but they were studying this passage and they said, you know what? We need to get back to Walmart and do Christmas wrapping for our, for our community. If you're new with us, we do free gift wrapping, and we just do it just to be a blessing 
for no other reason than we just love to show the, the love of Christ. And this small group said, you know what, we should do that again. They went down to Walmart and just shameless plug, December 20th and 21st, we're going to be wrapping gifts for people of Irmo. Okay? Why? Because they said one body, many parts, everybody do doing its part. And they said, we're going to do this. We're going to call God's people to join us. Why? Because the body is functioning so that it builds itself up to the glory of God. If you are not that deeply connected with people that somebody is causing you to grow in Christ, you may be deeply lacking in this sense of community in the body. Because you ought to have friends in your life that are pushing you towards fullness in Christ. Do you have that? Because it is something, I'll let Todd pick up all the rest, uh, but uh, it is something that we have to chase because it is so easy for it to go away. Uh, that we would endure and be diligent in making every effort for it to happen. Uh, why don't we pray and just ask that God would uh, just kind of put on us a sense of what the body looks like. Father, I, I just pray that you would uh, do an amazing work in us. And Father, this passage is just so stark that we are not consumers in your church. At least we were never designed to be, except you giving to us, but you give to us as we give away. Father, we know that the one who gives is the one who's blessed more than the one received. Uh, Father, the one who teaches learns more than the student. Uh, Father, the one who uh, gives a meal is, is blessed oftentimes way more than the receiver. Father, give us a picture of what it is that we would function as your people, that we would be uh, the body building itself up. God, I pray that we would use our unique gifts. Father, if it's behind the scenes, if it's up front, if it's uh, bold in our, in our speech, if it's encouragement, Father, use us all for your glory. God, push us all to know you more. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.